0: Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley A podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble The chorus of dancers, singers, and actors That are the foundation of every Broadway musical These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards And are, well, Broadway's Backbone Welcome to episode 66 My special guest is
1: Shannon Lewis
0: Hi, I'm sitting here with Shannon Lewis How are you today? I'm
1: so great how
0: are you? I'm fantastic. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're doing this because you're a performer, a choreographer, uh, a person that I really admire. So- I do. That's uh, so nice of you to say. It's, it's really true. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is because you're I like your your energy as you're strong, you're a strong woman, but you're just a strong human. And I take
1: that as a humongous
0: compliment. Oh, well, thank you. I do. So that And that's what I wanted to, people that stand up for themselves and fight for, whatever's right, especially I think in now, is the type of people I want to, to interview you. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you said yes. So I'm gonna read your uh, highlights from your resume. So oh hold, gosh. this is gonna oh take gosh. an hour because your, your resume <laughs> is so incredible. <laughs> so on Broadway, you did Crazy For You, Candide, Fosse, Contact, The Look Of Love, Sweet Charity, Curtains, People In The Picture, How To Succeed In Business, Mystery Of Edwin Drood, Four Encores, National tours, you were Sheila in a chorus line and Festrada in Pippin. And then your choreography resume spans from working with places like the York Theater, Jim Henson Productions, Disney, a Nymph Festival, 3D theatricals, uh, the Special Olympics, and DreamWorks. And now, currently, you're choreographing a new Stephen Schwartz project for the Princess Cruise Lines that debuts in January.
1: Yes.
0: So it's, I mean, that's pretty incredible of all the things that you're doing and how did you get started and where are you from?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, when you read all that stuff, I'm going to say this and sound weird, but it's sort of like, wow, I did all that stuff. Like that, that's a, that's a lot of stuff. Like if you just read that resume to me and didn't say who it was, I'd be like, that's, wow, that person knows a lot of things. And sometimes it feels like it's detached from me in some way. I don't know, because I've just been around a long time. Right. Then I go back in my head and I remember... All of the things and all the stories that go along with it, and how I actually got my first show, and all that stuff. And that's where I go, wow, like I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of that body of work that I did. Like, I, I, I really have so much pride about it. I never expected any of that to be my life. Ever. Really? Never in a million years. I always say, whenever I do those Q&A's with, with kids, when you're doing like master classes, which I love doing um and they say like what's the path what's the what are the rules like how do you how did you get there what what can i do what can i do to follow in your footsteps and i always say like well first of all i never would have moved to New York ever because i did not think that i was good enough to be here i didn't think that i i mean i had no one in my family that was in show business i grew up in toronto canada just outside of toronto in this little town called pickering which now has like a weird amount of artists coming out of it oh really <laughs> yeah it's really weird like there's some Pop star, I'm like forgetting his name right now. <laughs> Somebody amazing came uh-huh. out of my hometown and Jim Carrey is from like ten minutes away from me and Mike Myers is from a little town called Scarborough, which is like twenty minutes away from where I so there's like kind of a hotbed of yeah. maybe like frustrated Canadian <laughs> <laughs> frustrated Canadian artists that came out of this area. So I came from that place and I had never even seen. Like, my mother took me to see, like, Young People's Theatre, which is a big thing in Toronto. There was, like, this Young People's Theatre, and I saw, like, the Nutcracker, the National Ballet, it was a big deal there. But there wasn't a lot of, like, musical theatre in my family. Mm. There wasn't a lot of, like, any of that at all. Like, even, like, movies. I didn't see Singing in the Rain until I was 15, and by then I'd been dancing my whole life, and I saw it, and I was literally, like, my, my top of my head blew off. I uh. was
0: like,
1: what is, <laughs> what is this? Like, we didn't, you know, kids listening, there's no internet. Oh, there's yeah. There's no way of me knowing what that was. No. I, You know, maybe I could've gone to Blockbuster and gone through the like dead VHS tapes in the back <laughs> of the store and found like an old copy of something one day. Like, that's the only way I would've ever yeah. seen that stuff. Or if it was on television or something, but it just wasn't that thing. I didn't have any kind of a blueprint or any kind of anything that would lead me to believe that that was something that I wanted to do. I always danced. Um, I danced since I was two And I did gymnastics That was my really big focus When I was a kid Because I was a gymnast Oh, okay And I got really Pretty high level with it It was also during a time When it was more of the Nadia Comaneci gymnastics Not so much the Like, the, like power tumbling And like, lots and lots of twists, and yeah. twists Obviously you had to do that But it was more about The artistry and the body line The long lean bodies Were sort of That's what female gymnasts Look like And that's what I did And I was really, really good at it as really and I, I, I always won floor and beam because they were like basically dance right, yeah <laughs> you know dance with a little trick thrown in and I that was my focus but I always danced and I pretty much did only ballet I was focused only on ballet until I was about 12 or 13 and then I had a huge growth spurt I was around 5'2 and then over a summer I like grew to this height which is a little over 5'7 And it really, like, obviously, I was like, my whole center was off. Mm, I couldn't tumble anymore. And it it was a pretty stressful year. But then the dance thing really sort of became important to me. I really started to go, you know, this is something that I do well, and now my body sort of really fits into this whole thing. And then my dance teacher said, you know, you're so accomplished in ballet. I had a lot of ballet scholarships, and the National was sort of, it was kind of like, I was putting my toe in that water as to whether or not I wanted to go to that school and maybe try to go the route of ballet dancer. Um, and I just, there was something about it that I couldn't put my finger on, even back then, why I didn't want to. Mm. And what I, what I know now is that dancers, they don't speak, they don't talk, and they didn't sing, and yeah. they didn't, they told stories, but it was more like mime. It wasn't yeah. really like true acting, and I, I felt unfulfilled by that. you know I could make all the beautiful lines, I had the facility to do it, but I didn't have, it wasn't fulfilling me. And I didn't know why, but so the minute my dance teacher sort of was like, why don't you come and take, there's this performing group that they had, and they wanted me to join it, but I needed to learn how to dance as a jazz dancer, yeah. and a tap dancer, and she said, I think you're going to take to it pretty fast, but you have to start back at the beginning. You have to go take like the little little baby classes, and you have to work your way up. Because in our studio, we did exams every year. We had like, the ballet teachers come over from Britain. We went in the studio with our pink tights and our black leotards and our hair pulled back. And we did like a full hour of bar and then they would ask us theory like what does jeté mean and you would have to say oh jeté means to throw <laughs> wow like there's no joke yeah and so we did the same with all of our jazz and tap it was the same thing so i had to go back like me highly accomplished gymnast dancer well known in the studio went back to like the, with the six-year-olds and started taking jazz and tap and worked my way all the way up through, but I, I literally was like, you know, after about a year and a half, I was, I made it all the way up to the level, and they let me in this performing group.
0: Yeah, it was and, funny because we yeah. were just talking about sometimes you have to go back for your ego yeah. in order to move forward again.
1: Oh yeah, and I, I mean, I was embarrassed. I was a teenage girl too, so I was like, there's, I was like, <laughs> I felt a little humiliated. But I also knew I didn't know anything. I did not know what ball change was. I didn't know. I literally didn't know. Everything I did was in a turned out position, and they were like, no, parallel. <laughs> parallel your body. It seems funny now, but I literally didn't know any of that stuff. Like, I was truly like, no one in my family did anything close to being in show business. My mother's side of the family is Mennonite. That's the history there. Basically, farmers now. Yeah. But Mennonite. And my dad's side is like Welsh and Canadian. So there was nothing in my background yeah. that prepared me for it. And so I was kind of like, flying blind and just kind of going along with where my talent kind of was pulling me, was taking me to. And then I, you know, had the whole competitive dance career, did a lot of competition dancing. We were very, very good at that. And I was so lucky to go to a studio that instead of being like what I find competition dance now, it's just like trick, 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 which was happening then too, because that's what gets high marks. Yeah. My teacher, my studio was very high into style and storytelling. She would make these huge production numbers that were like these huge stories, like almost like a musical theater thing. Oh, wow. So we, it wasn't musical theater, yeah. but it was very similar in terms of like beginning, middle, and end, like us telling a story as a group, ensemble work, and then principal work, you know, you have your soloist step out. and So that's interesting that that was sort of the focus of my studio. Boy, did I get lucky because it really helped foster in me, like, I had to really find my own individual way of doing that, right? I had to I had to bring something to the table. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how special that was until many years later when I realized, like, I was looking around going, why isn't anybody else, like, why don't you ask a question? Like, Don't you want to know what they're thinking? Don't you want to know why they're asking you to do that? Don't you want to bring yourself to it? And people weren't. And I was like, oh, this is, I, I had a different path, right? Yeah. So, Yeah. I don't know if that answers your
0: question at all. No, it does, (laughs) because I think that so many dancers and young dancers don't realize you're allowed to bring something to the table. Yeah. That it's your contribution is what directors and choreographers want. That's right. Because it makes their storytelling better because they have people that like to tell stories and not just have pretty lines.
1: Right. I mean, I think we've gone through, like, several cycles of this since I joined the fray here in New York. When I joined the fray, it was old school. It was the old school of the older sort of style of, like, really hard sort of like people who like were gritty and they were New York dancers and they were amazing. Like I'm trying to think of the people that I admired so much back then, like Greg Mitchell, who's yes. no longer with us. And I got to dance with Greg. And Greg was like, oh, honey, you're really great. Come on over here, let's dance together. It's so great, it's so pretty, come on over here. And I'd be like, get your hands off me. Okay, come on over here. And he was just, he was so awesome. He really he was. was so unique and he was such a man when he danced and he demanded, if you were partnering with him, you had to rise to his level, man. You had mm-hmm. to give it back to him or he was just gonna like trounce you on the stage, like yeah. in the best way possible. Yeah. You know, Cynthia Rubio was someone that mm-hmm. I admired from afar. I had hardly ever met her. And I just thought she was so amazing and there's so many dancers of that era that Charlotte Desbois and you know, I mean yeah. Miriam Lamb and I ended up coming friends with Marianne Lin. Yeah, they were amazing unique special dancers and then I felt like we went through another cycle in the middle of, middle of my career where that wasn't as wanted that, that it was sort of like this sort of more like you just do what I tell you mm-hmm. and I want a younger generation so that they don't have as many questions to ask and that became hard and then it was like that's when I became like the feature dancer because they'd be like, oh, you've been around and you, and you're like, you have something to say. Like you're, you know, when you step on a stage, we want to look at you and we don't want to look at the rest. And not, I'm not saying that, that people weren't talented because they were, but it was a different mindset of the dancers that were getting hired and what they were bringing, what they were being asked to bring. Mm -hmm. So, and now I think we're coming back around with social media. I think there's more of a a cult of personality, but I think the pendulum has swung completely the other way where they are all important. It's that they come in the room and they like eat the room. Like the individual dancer comes in the room and they're like, I'm here. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Which is not a bad thing. But you have to understand how you fit into the larger picture. If you're going to do a musical, or anything, really, yeah. any, anything where you're with somebody else, I think you should be able to understand that it's a collaborative art form, yeah. and that you have to at least tune in to your fellow actors, dancers, anybody. And that doesn't always happen. So I think it's just something, it's a different problem now. I think there's personalities out there, but I don't think that people understand that it has to be, it has to be a focused mm. kind of ego.
0: I definitely. So now that you have a dual focus with choreography, has that influenced your also your performing and do you get definitely see different generations now auditioning for you as opposed to auditioning with you?
1: Definitely. And yeah, and because I'm still kind of on this this journey, I always feel like I'm just gonna digress for a second and say that I always find it like I love having these conversations, but I'm also like, i'm not dead yet like i'm no. still yeah like i'm still we're all still in it and i feel like i'm still learning like anything i say today that i'm like i feel like this i don't think that in like two years you could ask me the same question and i would go you know what i've learned something in yes. the two years as we talked and here's what i've learned and now my opinion is different i think i think that's important yes I think growth is part of is always been a part of my life and my journey and it should be for everybody I think, yeah. especially if you're an artist but what was your original question? Like, how is it different?
0: Yeah. How, how, do you, how is it your eye different? Because now, when, you right. walk, when you're looking at it, and what you want as a choreographer as opposed to what you want as a performer.
1: Right. I do think it's different when you're on the other side, especially just from me perspective. I go, oh, 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 now I understand why I didn't get that job that one time, mm. that always bothered me. Like, why didn't I get that job? I should have gotten that job. And now I go, oh, of course I didn't get the job, because they were looking for this cool. when I was this. Right. And also, I also realized that so much of it isn't even that personal. Like, so much of it you're like, oh my god, I need somebody that's 5'3". Like, the director wanted this person, and this person, the producer wants this, and we only have this much, and we have this costume, and we have... Like, it really does sometimes come down to, like, a numbers game, which mm. totally sucks. Yeah. And I've been on the benefit end of that, and I've been on, like, the crap end of it when I don't get it as, a, yeah. as an actor. But it's true. It exists and it's there. And I think the more you acknowledge that, you really do have to take some of your ego out of that and just be like, "Hey, he really has nothing to do with me." Yeah. You
0: know, it's really um, it's hard though. It's, it's So hard. It's, it's you encouraging. Have to yeah, it's encouraging when you hear someone who's been on both sides of the table assure you saying it's nothing to do with you. Because I haven't really been on that side of the table that much. And so when I have an amazing audition and I get and don't get it. I completely take it personally.
1: There are literally times when I've had notes, um, and I've been lucky enough now to have a few times have like peers of mine come in and audition for projects that I'm involved in. And first of all, it's so wonderful to see them. I love seeing people I know come in the room. And I also love whenever they obviously do well, because they're great professional people, and have them leave, and me turn to the team and be like, I love that person and here's why and here's what I know about them and here's because those things do come into play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you can say like I did a job with this person and they were amazing. They went on in a as an understudy and they were they killed it. Or like anything that sort of comes into play, I can be like I know that they can handle pressure, stress, whatever. I know that I can create with them because I know they're going to be like ready for it or whatever. That's great. But it's also like seeing people really shine and, like, writing on my paper, like, oh, my God, this person's amazing, that we all totally agree that this person's amazing. And then when it comes down to it that they don't get it, like, literally the conversation is, like, oh, God, it hurts us to let this person go. Like, we know they're going to get snapped up by somebody else in a second, but it it just doesn't work because of this or because the person that they're playing opposite is, like, six foot and they're like five foot and it just mm. doesn't make any sense. And yeah. like or you know, it's just the other person's just more energetically right for this or whatever. Like there's so many different things. But I have felt mourning the loss of the person that we all thought was really talented.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and that that is a, a conversation. I've also been there when there's like jerks. And they're like, eh, whatever. You know, they don't care. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say that, obviously, I wouldn't be working with them if they're jerks, but they're people, things are said that aren't so nice. I will never forget what it's like to be the one that walks in the room in front of a table full of people who are waiting for you to do something fabulous. Yeah. Yes. You know, and you've worked on it all day, and you literally, like, are sweating, and it's terrifying, or whatever, you, like, have these sides, and you really dedicated so much time. I have been that person that you do it once, and they say thank you, and you leave, and you're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, man. And they're like, they like me, or I should have done it better and then you're left with the rest of the day but like think about it like i don't ever want to forget what that's like yeah and respect how hard that is i have actually said in rooms a couple of times when someone like didn't do a good job or like someone comes in for a callback and they didn't quite hit it the way we thought they were going to and there's still a question mark in our heads about it i've said you know what everybody it's really hard to audition you know if yeah. there's any question about that let's bring them back in and we've had casting people run out and say take a minute here's a note and come back in like give them a chance. Auditioning is really hard. It's really hard. So, I hope to never lose that, because I I have been there for 25 years. I've been on that side. Uh.
0: Well, I remember you told me a story once, we won't name what choreographer it was for. You were working with that choreographer, but he still flew you across the country to audition for him, and then cut you, <laughs> and then you had to fly back to perform in a show for that choreographer. Yeah. You told me that story, and I was like, that is yeah. ridiculous. Well, first of all, that you had to audition for him. Yeah. But then, like, what a waste of time and money. And uh-huh.
1: No, and I, and I was like, first of all, like, just tell me not to audition. Don't be nice about it. Like, if you really don't think I'm going to get that job, if you really don't see me in your head in that cast, just tell me. I can take it. I might be disappointed, but the disappointment will last like an hour, and then I'll move on with my life and go perform the show that I got. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm a big girl, and that's up to me to to handle that. Being honest with people, I think, is really, really important. Mm. Because I spent a lot of money, and it was a lot of energy, and felt the energy when I was in the room. I was like... not going my way and then I was not good because I felt like it, I was standing outside of myself commenting on it and then I had the big final callback where there were like the five tables of producers behind them and I was trying to put make it happen and force it and it just it was not working and not good i just knew i walked out there and i was like wow that was a huge mistake and i paid for it because the next two weeks i was exhausted it's basically spent like a paycheck and a half <laughs> to do that but i don't have any ill will no of course that. not that was my choice to go yeah like, no one forced me to go it was an opportunity that i thought i had but but yeah there's moments like that
0: yeah <laughs> so what led you to your broadway debut crazy for you toe-tapping
1: of a crazy story oh i love this i'm gonna try to truncate it a little bit but basically i had graduated high school during high school when i was about 16 i started performing at canada's wonderland which was like one of the king's island king's dominion parks and they did these big broadway style like review shows and they were like the thing to do In in toronto at the time that was the biggest show you could get other than whatever was playing in downtown Toronto, which was mostly like touring productions mm. and things like that would come through. Phantom was the big mm. show that ran there for forever. Joseph oh, was one yes. of those, those are the two big shows. The next biggest show was Canada's Wonderland thing. I, my dance studio people, oftentimes they would, one or two of the of the people from the studio would get that show. And it was a big, big deal, right? So we all went to audition every year or whatever. And I'd never been, and I went to audition for this big show and it was like, a, like, beginning of all that jazz like that with all the people on stage oh, yeah. and it was like a big huge thing all from all over Canada I and mean, I was like 16 and I was like this is crazy I'm, I, I'm just here like I was terrified right so they started making cuts and I kept getting kept, getting kept, getting cut and then there was this big sort of like moment in the dance or whatever they were looking for this big featured part and you had to do like a penché on either side standing by yourself you had to like tendu to the side and turn and lift up into arabesque and then penché as best you could and come back and then do it on both sides it's sort of like almost like a type out for the specialty i was like a really accomplished like rhythmic gymnast and artistic But that was something that i could do in my sleep And I was like, huh, okay, this is interesting. So I got up there and I like literally did it. And I like went to like a six o'clock penché and held it. And then I went up on the other and came back down. And I turned to the other side and literally they were just all like, wow, (laughs) where are you from? And like from that moment on, like the energy kind of changed and I ended up getting that specialty part. And they sort of had to get me a rider because I was younger than 17, which you had to be 17 to work there. So I ended up like working there. I got the big specialty part. I was the only person from my studio that got the show. And, and I was so happy. Yeah. But it also made me kind of other. Hmm. And, and it was sort of like I and a, a lot of my friends had, from the studio had come and I absolutely assumed we would all be getting the show. They were amazing dancers. They were wonderful. There's no reason why they shouldn't. But you know, some, that's how the ball bounces sometimes. Yeah. I remember getting the call and being so excited and calling them all and expecting that they got it too and nobody else got it. So. It was sort of the beginning of my sort of breaking away from everything that I knew in my life. I had been at at Canada's Wonderland a few years, like I think I had done two seasons at Canada's Wonderland when I graduated high school. And that summer, the biggest casting director in Toronto, her name's Stephanie Gorin, she's still like the biggest casting director, even to this day. She came to see the show, as she always did. And I sort of knew a little bit about her, but I didn't really, I just gotten out of high school and I was like, just like trying to find my way in life. And she came backstage, and asked for me and I I walked up and met her and the rest of the cast was like, oh my God, you're meeting Stephanie Gorin. And she said like, I'm casting crazy for you in Toronto. Why don't I know who you are? And I said, because I just graduated high school. (laughs) (laughs) I think I looked about 25 probably, right? Like with all my stage makeup. Yeah. I'm literally like, I'm like 18, 18 years old. And she was like, oh my God. She goes, do you have a resume? And I was like, no. And she's like, make yourself a resume. Do you have a headshot? And I was like, no and she's like go somewhere and just get a picture of your head taken and send them to my office here's my card do it and i was like like oh god so then i was like oh crap now i have to do a resume i knew nothing i knew nothing so i like put together like a weird resume from like my dance school i yeah. don't know and then i went to like the local like, <laughs> mall i got like a, a headshot done in black and white. And I like typed up a letter and I sent it off and I was I felt like an idiot. I was like, she's never, what am I even doing this for? And lo and behold, a couple weeks later, she called and said, I got your stuff. We're having an audition. Most of Crazy For You is already cast. Rehearsals are starting, but we're looking for a swing position and we'd really like to see you. I'd really like for Susan Strowman to meet you. And I was like, I knew who Susan Stroman was because Crazy For You had started getting a lot of attention Mm. and and it was on the news. and, And I was starting to hone in on stuff. Like I started to kind of be like, Ooh, Broadway. And like I had seen a touring production of Cats finally. And I was like, what? What? Yeah. what is this? There's a musical. What? You dress up like a cat. Like, That's amazing. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know? I literally was like, this is all brand new. So long, long story short, I auditioned for uh, Swing, which I obviously was not ready for because I, I sang a little bit, naturally could sing. From that audition, they said, you're a little too green for us, but Stro loved you. You need to go take some voice lessons and just get more confident. And you need to just keep us in touch of where you are like, by that point i had been accepted into ryerson university which the campus is in downtown toronto so it was a way for me to sort of like mm. get myself there and i had to make the choice this is another sort of digression but i i had a really strong showing in the legal realm like i was sort of in the elite sort of like gifted programs a little bit yeah and i i had these cool opportunities to go and like work with a lawyer outside of school, things like that. In Canada at the time we did 13th year of high school. Really? Yeah, so it's actually good because it's like a prep year. Yeah. You get a little more mature before you decide what you're gonna do and so that year I actually was doing a lot of correspondence with the performing but also I was spending some time with like some outside work with law things. I was doing really well with that so I had to make a choice, ended up choosing going to Ryerson to dance which, you know, my mom was like, you should be a lawyer. <laughs> but I ended up doing that, and that brought me into Toronto. So I was going to school full-time for dance, and I was in Toronto taking voice lessons and trying to keep doing what I was doing. And I was I was frustrated with that program just because I had already been professional. Mm-hmm. And I was then asked to yet again go back and a lot of the people I was in school with were, had never done what I did. Had never been performing in a theme park or done any of that. So I was like sneaking out and going to auditions, which you were not allowed to do in your first year at Ryerson. But I was sort of like, now's my time and I had this sort of fire in me that I'd never really had before that I was like, look, what I need this for is to be in Toronto. Yeah. It was very clear to me that I was like, that's not gonna do anything for me, going to class and going to ballet at eight AM. Not that I that I didn't shouldn't be there, but yeah. I'd done that for so long. I had never gone to like audition for Cats Germany, which I did when I was not old enough yet. And I ended up getting the show, and then they called and said, so we're gonna need to make sure that you're 21. And I said, I'm not. <laughs> 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 I'm 19, and they were like, oh, you shouldn't have come to the audition. I was like, yeah, like, well, so I couldn't do that. Yeah. I had gotten Tokyo Disneyland. I had done one of those sneak out auditions. I was one of the only people that they offered a contract to in Toronto from that audition. And everybody was saying to me, this is it. Like, you're finally gonna get to go, do to make a lot of money. It's a big job, you can work for Disney, this is awesome, it's like a huge thing. And there's something in my gut that just said, don't do it. Mm. I can't tell you what it was. I don't know what it was. I was not happy in school. I was feeling very like, we, I didn't know where to turn or what I should do. I was thinking about leaving school and just like not like trying to be professional. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I just couldn't say yes to this job. I turned it down, it was right before Christmas and I, I sort of took like the Christmas holidays and I was like really down, really, really depressed, really blue. And I couldn't really describe why. and I just didn't feel like there was a future and felt like I had made bad choices. Like I just was Mm. really in a bad way. And then like January 2nd comes along and I'm like getting back into school and I get a call from Julie Hughes Mm -hmm. of Hughes Moss Casting. Yes. And I had no idea who that was. And I said, hi. (laughs) And she said, listen, where are you right now? And I said, I'm in Toronto. And she said, so Susan Stroman has remembered you from some some auditions for crazy for you and she really wants to see you there's a there's an open spot but she can't come to toronto we're going to need you to fly to new york to audition for this and it's going to happen next week so we're going to need to make sure you have a passport and we're going to need to make sure that you can like come over here because you're 19 you're not 21 and i was like oh my god oh my god so i was freaking out Yeah. and i did end up flying over the auditions were at the Schubert Theater. Schubert
0: Wow. So I
1: flew in, literally like Thoroughly Modern Millie or something, got out in the middle of Times Square and I was like... I <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> found my way to the Schubert frickin' theater. Yeah. I've never even seen a Broadway show, ever. i never even, ever. So I like, wa- I'm like, oh, huh, and I walk into the stage door of the Schubert Theater and I'm expecting like a full call, right? It's one of the girls. It's me and one of the and everybody knew this other girl. Oh, they're all saying hi, like the stage manager saying hi to her. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and I was like, this, I was literally a 19 year old girl with bangs and a high ponytail. And I was like pulling my tap shoes out of my suitcase. And I was like trying to stretch and like put my lipstick on. We walk out on stage and in the house is Mike Ockren, Paul Gemignani, Susan Stroman, and Chris Peterson, who was her assistant at the time, and Angelique Ivo. And I knew none of these people. I just knew Stroh. And me and this other girl walk out into the bare and deep Sugar Theatre stage. Oh,
0: wow. And
1: I was literally, like, standing on a Broadway stage, first of all. I was like, Like, I had just flown to New York, just walked in the Sugar Theatre. And we learned our little combination, which was new. I hadn't learned that one yet. And then we did, um, we had to do a tap dance, and then we had to do it solo, because it was a tap solo that was in the show. And then they said to me, do you know how to toe tap? And I was like, what is that? And they were like, well, it's when they put taps on the ends of your point shoes and you do a little time step. And I said, well, no, but I've done... I'm kind of known for like doing gymnastics on point. I can do like aerials and land them on point and I can do stuff like I could actually do this. Oh my God,
0: you're crazy. Not That's right incredible.
1: It's crazy like how I ended up at, like in the right place at the right time. They said, well, would you mind that you can just hang on to something and try and do a time step? And the other guy was like, I can't do that. She's like, I can't. I can do it in my tap shoes, but I can't do it on point. And they're like, it's fine. They're like, not a lot of people can do it. Yeah. So there I am. And I'm like, and I just tried doing it and I made some sounds and I kind of like was like, was that it? And they were like, yeah. And then they asked me to sing 16 bars, which I did, terribly, because I was so nervous. And Paul Gimignotti was out there, I, thank God I didn't know him at yeah. the time. And then they were like, thank you so much, thank you so much for, we you know you just flew in, and I was like, and I thought, oh I didn't get it, like, oh of course I didn't get it. But like, there was that little part of me that was like, oh, I didn't get it. And I literally remember standing at the edge of the stage and looking at it and going, that's okay, Like, I'm literally on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm standing on it, and they all laughed, and they were like, "You was so great. And so, and they all smiled and they waved. And then I left and I like got back in the cab and I got on the plane and I was literally like, I can tell my kids someday that I was on Broadway. Like, yeah. there's no way I'm never gonna, like that was amazing. I felt like even if I never danced another day in my life, that happened to me. Like that's literally where, where I was. So i get off the plane, and I go back to my dorm room and I was like, this dark cloud of depression. I was like, well, I'm, how am I gonna, should I stay in school? Should I just do the rest of the year? Like maybe I'll do the rest of the year and then maybe I'll leave or find something else. And I walk in my dorm room, which was a private room and the phone was ringing and I pick it up and I'm like, hello, a voice says, hi, is this Shannon? And I said, yeah. And the man said, this is John Bonanni. I met you today on the PSM of Crazy For You. And I was like, oh, did I leave something? Did I leave something? I said, I literally just got home. And he said, no, no, you didn't leave anything. He said, we're calling because we want to offer you a contract in Crazy for You in New York. And I said, no, 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 I wasn't auditioning for New York. I was auditioning for Toronto. And he said, no, you weren't. Oh, my God. He said, "No, you weren't." So I ended up pulling out of school, and I started rehearsals with someone from the Toronto company immediately. Terry Young started started me. Oh, Terry Young! Wow. Started me learning it immediately, and I, I was terrible in those rehearsals because I was so like my head was spinning. Yeah, I, was I, like, I
0: can't imagine. What
1: is happening? And she was like, "I remember she like sat me down." And I love her for this because this is how she is. And this is why I'm the way I am too. But she was like. This is a lot, I know, it's a lot. You're, to- you're you're capable of this, but you've got to focus. When you get to New York, they're gonna throw you in after three days, you're gonna be on Broadway, in the show, and those that, that cast is like the best of the best, and she's like, not saying that you're not, but I know your head is spinning, but this has to be the most important thing. You have to go home and practice this every night you have to get, you must know this stuff. Like She like took me by the shoulders and was like, This is happening. You have to do it. You know, I basically like flew to New York, kept rehearsing for another like five days, had my put in, and then was on Broadway. And I literally remember seeing the show, like, like watching the show, the first night I got to New York and started rehearsals and watching it that night, and being like, this is the first Broadway show I'm seeing, and I'm going into it in like four days. That's
0: incredible. I know.
1: Isn't it crazy? How did that happen? Because you and I was, deserved it, and, and your are talented, like that talent. Like, but I was also, like, the featured dancer. Yeah. all of the, the little fe- dance features and the tap features, and I did do the toe tap, and weirdly, brilliantly good at it. Like, it was something that came to me really naturally. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I was 19. When you're 19, you're just kind of like, you're a sponge, right? Yeah. You're just like, okay.
0: And you're fearless.
1: Fearless. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had moments where I was like, "What? what is happening? And I had moments where like, I was robbed in the first few months I lived here. I lived with a gal who was in the show, she was a dresser in the show, we lived on the east side. And we would both go to the show every day and come back and we always had the same schedule. We left um, before a Saturday matinee one morning, then we came back later and we were talking and she went to put her key in the door and the, the lock had been drilled out. And we opened the door and like literally everything was gone. Like everything was gone. Like they took the sheets off, the. Th- I had a futon and a dresser and like a CD player, and they took everything.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: You know, so like I had some struggles in terms of my immigration stuff, like getting green card back then was really, or even a visa was really hard. So yeah. Like I had a lot of like, lots of legal drama in terms of like having to cross the border a lot when my visa would run out in mm. back. And I wasn't even sure for the first year or so, I loved doing the show, but I was like, am I staying? Like people are like, so are you going to stay here? And I was like, I don't know. And then year two of Crazy For You, because I was in it for two and a half years, mm. I, started getting, like, I started getting involved with the Fosse thing, and I started getting involved in other things, and I started thinking, I need to try and stay. Yeah. Like, this little voice was like, I think I, I, think I want to try to do this. Like, I think I might be able to maybe get another show someday. Like, it was like this little tiny voice. I was like, maybe I, maybe I should try. And then once that started happening, then all this opportunity started coming my way.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously your relationship with Stro was great because then you got to even up a notch and be a standby for two amazing principal roles yeah. in Contact.
1: Three, actually. Oh. I'm the only person to have done The Girl in the Swing, The Wife, and The Girl in the Yellow dress. Yes.
0: You were the standby for all I, three? Or? I was
1: the standby for all three, and I did end up going on for all three. The Swing was like a fluke. Like I think I feel like someone who's listening to this, I feel like they put me on just to say that I did it. I was like the 15th, cut. Like, right. you know, my, my priority was Girl in Yellow and wife, in that order. And I went on for The Girl in the Yellow a few times for, at the beginning. I was never really supposed to go on for The Wife, I think, because I was seen as too young, but really The Girl in the Yellow was the focus. And yeah. then, and then something happened. Oh, Charlotte got hurt. Charlotte Amboise was coming in to replace KZ, mm.
0: uh,
1: Karen Zimba And she had a weird, fluky injury, really fluky. And it took her out like right before her opening night. And so they had to put me on. And I shared it with a couple other people, but they ended up having to put me on for like weeks at a time for that role. Oh wow. And that's one of the more fulfilling roles I've ever played. Really? Yeah. I really that's like really close to my heart, that one. Girl in Yellow was great. Yeah. Because Girl in Yellow was like the iconic dancer, you know, oh, absolutely. Like he loves that role. Yes. But it's also you're not the the driving engine of that story. Michael Wiley, the character of Michael Wiley, is the driving engine of that story, and so you're always reacting to him, right? There's a nice twist in the story that that the actress playing that role gets to have a little bit more depth. But the wife is the engine. The wife is the engine of her story, of Did You Move? And you're on stage for 45 minutes, and you never leave the stage in that role. I think I shocked not just myself, but everyone else. That I was actually perfectly suited to play that role. Yeah, so that's like, stroh has been good to me. I don't know that there's been anything else that she's done that I've been really right for. Yeah. Uh, since then, and I've sort of gone off on my own sort of path, right? And and also, I think I've maybe turned down a couple of things that she gave me to or a- asked me to do, just because they weren't right for me yeah. at the time. And of course, like I have humongous respect for Stroh. Yeah. And I would not be sitting here talking to you without her involvement in my career. Right. And her. And her public, I'm sure that when she said, I want to hire this 19-year-old girl from Toronto that's never done anything before, and all the legal stuff that they had to do to get me to yeah. be in the show and stay in the show, that she could have said, okay, you know, it's not gonna happen or whatever, but she, for whatever reason, I never knew why she did, but I'm s- sitting here, she started my journey.
0: She started mine fun, too, so right? I, I give her all mine. Yeah, yeah, so
1: I give, and I, and I still, as a woman, creative person, mm. she was one of the few in the earlier days of like women creative people, yes. <laughs> sort of getting handed reins of things, I have such respect for what she must have gone through.
0: Oh, absolutely! And
1: she's been doing amazing work for twenty, thirty years. Yep. And she started, you know, as a dancer in the in the ensemble. Yeah. And worked with people like Bob Fosse and all that. So her path is similar to something that I'm experiencing so
0: yeah. Two other women that you worked with in your career are Anne Ranking and Gwen Verdon. (laughs) The journey that everyone took with with Fosse was an incredible one it was a difficult one but I remember just I mean the word on the street but it was literally the word on the street (laughs) was you and the I got you number and it really cemented like people at that moment knew who you were I mean people uh, that I know they're like oh my god she was my idol what was your journey for Fosse and getting that, another feature. I think the thing about that number was not just your dancing, it was your acting just like you were with the white. All of a sudden you were able to show that I do more than Poncha.
1: The fact that you say that and that people feel that way to me is is just like, it's so humbling and it's like everything I could ever have wanted it to be. And mm. that's all that I wanted. I, what, all I really wanted was the respect of my peers. Mm. And that's all I think I, I really ever want. You know, there's lots of trappings that show this that come like fun, fabulous photo shoots and fame, the people talk about fame or money or whatever. Those things are great. And I i, don't, I never wanted fame, I always wanted the opportunity that came with it. Yeah. I, could, I could take or leave being recognized on the street. I'm much happier being in my sweatpants all the time. <laughs> so I've never <laughs> wanted that. But, but you know, the, the opportunity and money that comes from that, I think what you should know, and this is not in any way sour grapes. I, I make a real strong point in my life of never looking back and trying to change things that happen, right? Fosse was like one of the hardest things I ever went through in my entire life. It remains that. And I feel like the original cast of Fosse, that original company, was so amazing. And so they were all such incredible, unique, brilliant artists. But at the same time, part of what I think is woven into the DNA of Fosse's work, Bob Fosse's work, was his dysfunction. And I don't think he... (laughs) You can't get that deep into somebody's work, like Bob Fosse, because he wove his psyche in with his work, and the reason that his work stands out the way it does is that he had a dark view.
0: Mm, yeah. He had, a, he had yeah. a
1: really joyful view, too, but his view was dark, Yeah, and you feel it. You feel it when you get in that work. and. What happened to us as the original company was we got very dysfunctional within ourselves. We're like a, a family that had like a, an alcoholic father, right? yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. We had to sort of survive it and like I think we're all bonded and we all love each other and we all respect each other. But even to this day there's still this banging heads together. Like there's still a little competitiveness and there's, it's there. I certainly wish everybody well. But my experience with Fosse was that I got brought in by Chet Walker and Brad Musgrove, and they were still doing the workshops at the old Broadway yes. Dance Center. I'd obviously heard who Bob Fosse was. One of the only movies I'd ever really seen in my childhood was All That Jazz, uh. and I was like, Oh my God, and Amélie, Oh my God. Yeah. And I remember seeing Annie. Oh and My yeah. mom taking me at like ten years old, and her being like, That lady's a famous dancer on Broadway. And I was like, She has like long brown hair, just like me. Like I was like, Wow. Like when I got asked to do start to work on the Fosse stuff. It was a dream come true, and Gwen was there, and, I, you know, you had to be asked back every week, and it was this whole thing, and some people weren't, show up at the class and be like, oh, that person isn't here anymore, and, oh. and that whole journey, I could talk for hours about it, but, you know, I felt like I put my time in, and I know that those workshops were happening because Gwen didn't feel like people were doing the Fosse style properly because it wasn't being taught, and she had a point, like, Bob wasn't around, he had died in 86, I believe, and... I think I started working on the workshops in 94, yeah. 95. She was right, there wasn't a lot, it was sort of dying, that style. And so she needed to know that the repertoire was there and that there were dancers that could really do it right. And she spearheaded that along with Chet. And Chet was a huge part of it. And uh, Bill Hastings was a huge part Probably of it. Yeah. And ranking would come in every now and then. And Chet's a real mentor for me and he still is. And he's been very supportive for me, even as a choreographer, he's always seen things in me that I didn't and always been like no, you need to try doing this I'm going to make you sing this song in front of people I'm going to make you do this like, and I would just do it because I, I trusted him and yeah. he knew that he believed in me and, you know, so he's been like, you need people like that yes you like, do you need someone to open a door and you need the talent and the drive to, to go after it but you do need someone to be like no, you, you should be over here I certainly did and he was one of those people the whole thing with Fosse was that we kept going out of town and trying it out and different people would get cast, and I was still there, and it was like a core of us, it was like this skeleton crew of us that would work with Gwen, like the old 890, oh. with Chet, and she would bring people in, like Graciela Danielle would come by one day, and Harvey Evans would come by one day, and Stephen Schwartz would come in one day, and, and she'd be like, okay, today we're gonna work on magic to do, and we're gonna, you know, and then there'd be all this, she'd be like, I remember one company who did this, and." Yeah, the company would do this and you couldn't have asked for a better education like for someone with you know my background of having literally no education I got like the best possible Ivy League musical theater old school education you could possibly get yeah. and it did actually make me feel like I belonged I deserved to be there so during the process you know there was a lot of politics there was a lot of people coming and going and even creatives coming and going and, and we weren't consulted about any of that and by the time we got to Right Before Broadway, we'd done so many workshops, and they made a really big change in bringing Am Ranking in and Richard Balpey in, and Chet Walker wasn't a part of our day-to-day anymore, and then they brought in all these new people that had worked with Bob Fosse before, and everybody has a different opinion, and mm. so there were times when there was a workshop where I was like the star of Fosse. And then there was another workshop where I was literally in the back row of every number. The journey of it was, like, I basically feel like I could stand up and probably do every number that we learned. Guys parts, girls parts, I could sing every song, I could do, literally I knew every bit of his stuff. No, I did not work with with Bob Fosse, because he died before I came to New York. I feel like I got such a great education, I had such respect for it, you know, and that we did work with the people that worked with him and we had those people with us that by the time we were pre-Broadway, and we were all sort of in this dysfunctional place, but I was the youngest member of that, that company. I do remember that there were times when I would do I Gotcha, I would do it with a couple guys, and then the next workshop it was given to like, Janine Lamanna did it once with four guys, they added two more guys in, and I was like, okay, it's gone. Like, yeah. There was a little bit of me that was like, oh, that hurts a little bit, because yeah. I really love that number, I'm really good at it, but. It's okay. Like there were other things that I, I was given other opportunities, other things to do, and then it would come back. You know, it would, it would go and then it would come back to me, I was like, okay, I'm doing it again. And then for a while, it was out of the show. It wasn't even in the show. Garth Drabinsky hated that number. He was always trying to cut it. He never could tell me why, but he hated it, and he tormented me over it. He would come up to me and be like, I'm gonna cut that number if I, if I don't hear the words you're saying. You know, I can't understand anything you're saying. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? It's like a it's like a fast patter song. Like, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like an early rap song. Like and I'd be like, I'm literally chewing the words off and he'd be like, I'm gonna kinda hate that number anyway. Stupid number. Like he hated that number. I think it was because it was like a strong woman. Yeah. Whatever. That's we'll get to that later. But long story short, there was a period of time where I think they were looking at who was gonna do this number for real. Like who was really gonna do it, when it was back in the show. People really liked it. It was a not uh, well-known number, mm-hmm. so they wanted it yeah. in. I do know that Gwen sort of put herself out there for me to do it. I don't know the details, and I think that there was some hard feelings between some other cast members that felt like maybe they should, and that lingered forever. So I guess what I'm getting at is, and this applies to a lot of like what we're talking about today, that I felt such a, a strong responsibility. I feel a strong responsibility to, when I'm given an opportunity like that, to do a number like that, It's not lost on me. It's not like I'm like, oh, I'm doing this number. To me, it's like life or death. Like, those are the stakes. Like, the stakes are literally like, this is the most important thing in my life at this moment. And I have to do my best that I can possibly do, which means all day before the show, you know, you make sure you're ready for the show. Like, every moment of my day when I did Fosse was dedicated to making sure that I could do what was in my track, which was a lot. And especially, I gotcha which was sort of the the pinnacle of all the things that I did. Yeah. It's never lost on me that other people in the cast could have done it. It's never lost on me that other people in the cast did do it, and they were great at it. Yeah. But the universe chose me at that moment, and it was my opportunity, and I never, ever took it for granted. I was completely dedicated to all of that. Yeah. Making sure that I was giving 150% every night. The, The crazy part was for me, I won't speak for anybody else, but I didn't feel that love the people were like, oh my god, there's this girl doing this number. Literally, I, I didn't think people got it. I didn't feel a warm response at the end. Mm. You end that number off stage in the wings. Yeah, I was changing a hat because I had to take my mic off and put a hat back on and then go back on for the trans fruit, which was insane that they made me do that back to back. And most of that time, I was just like, blinders on, get through the show, get through the show, get through the show. And I never really, you know, and then we were doing all this press, and I knew that these were opportunities. Like, when we got, I got a call to do the Today Show. I got you on the Today yeah. Show. I was like so tired. <laughs> and it literally, like, Brad Musgrove didn't do it. There's uh, Josh Rhodes stepped in for him, which was amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. But he, he covered Brad in that number. And Brad didn't do it because we were so tired. Yeah. That I was like, I can't possibly do this. I can't. And he was probably right. I watched that number and I thought, oh my God, I look so tired. But now it's the, one of the only things that exists of me doing it. Yeah. Really, there's no other video. You know, Fosse was the best of times and the worst of times. It it was thrilling to see that show connect with people. And I only know that now. I've been you know, oh, yeah. approached by people later, after the fact. And I did know that people were, that I was getting noticed. I, I knew that I had gotten a really good review in The Times, even though I didn't read it. I knew because no one was, talking to me <laughs> the for a couple of days. Except for there was um, Dana Moore said nice things. Like, there were people that I was close to in the past that were very happy to yeah. meet but I think we were all just like kind of on our own journey, you know, we were all yeah. like trying to fight and make it and that was I don't fault anyone, but it wasn't it wasn't like this really happy yeah. experience. Yeah at all.
0: But from the audience point of view, it was one of the most thrilling things I've ever watched. And that's and I've so, seen it yeah, twice.
1: that's funny. I mean I have so many opinions about it. I'm so happy that I could be a small part of Bob Fosse's work living on Mm -hmm. and and being reignited, you know, along with Chicago, like all of that stuff. You know, and also knowing, getting to know Nicole Fosse, his daughter, getting to know Gwen as well as I did, getting to know Annie, all those women are amazing women and I owe them a lot. They're tough. They're not like wonderful, (laughs) warm people that like were so encouraging. Like Gwen was a fascinating human. And she was such a dance idol of mine. Nobody moved like one. Nobody will ever move like one. Untouchable, Yeah. untouchable. But she was also a pretty good teacher. She could really distill it down and really talk about what she's like. You know, like move your shoulder like this. Like take, move it forward before you go up. Like she could really like break it down and talk about what the body was doing. Oh, that's
0: fantastic.
1: Which I found really helpful. Like she would do it and then you'd be like, but what are you doing? And then she'd be like, well, I'm dragging my toe because I'm not lifting my foot off the floor, it makes my hip, like, and I'd be like, oh. But she was a taskmaster. She never said to me, good job. She never said to me, you're so great in (laughs) show. She would come to my, this is a true story, no one believes it, but it's true, that nine months, we did a nine month pre-Broadway tour before we got into Broadway. And because I think she had sort of advocated for me to keep doing my gotcha, that she also felt a responsibility to make sure that it was good. So she would come to my dressing room every city, every show, that she was there, which was pretty much every show, before we got to Broadway, and she, at like 15 minute call or 10 minute call, and we would go over the words, because she knew that Garth hated the number, and she knew that it was always like a little muddy. She wanted me to connect to the acting and make it more about, instead of it just being this like head-throwing hair, rolling number yeah she really wanted me to focus on that she knew i could dance it but just always like some kind of an exercise it was like she was pulling the reins back on the horse for me pulling the reins back like pulling the reins back she was a big proponent of like she said to me once during one of these sessions which i'll tell you about in a second she said um when i was working on cabaret liza could cry the drop of a hat right and we kept saying to her don't cry because it's better to see the tear just about to spill off the eyelid and down your face, and not go. It's more. It's better because there's more tension, and you see the you see the emotion than to just cry and let it all go. So she kept doing that to me, like pulling me back from the edge, pulling me back from the edge, making me simplify, making me simplify. And she would say, "Okay, stay after me. I gotcha." Uh oh, huh. I didn't see it, did you? And I would go, "I gotcha." uh-huh, huh, huh. (laughs) I didn't see you didn't you? And then she would go, no, uh-huh, huh. huh." And I'd be like, what is she talking about? Like, I can't understand. And I'd go, "Uh uh-huh, huh. And she'd go, yeah. And I would not know what it was. But whatever it was, she just wanted me to be focused. I think she just wanted the layers. Yeah. Because she did it every every single show. Wow.
0: Another real strong woman <clears> in your <throat> life is the character of Sheila mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Horus Line, mm-hmm. which you did on the national tour. Yes. And also many people saw you audition for it. I remember when that was happening. I saw the movie and was not expecting it to be as in-depth of a look as what it was. Right.
1: I was not really shown in that movie.
0: You weren't that much. Oh, wow. No.
1: no. I was... Oh, because you were
0: cut out of it, weren't you? Yes.
1: People who know me know that me and Deidre Goodman were down to the end. Yes. And was in in the mix too, but I believe in the timeline, I don't ruin anybody's life right now, but they did a lot of creative editing with that movie, which is what you do when you're a movie. Yeah, yeah. I did audition. I was in the mix for Cassie, and then I wasn't, and then nothing happened, and then I was in the mix for Sheila, and then I wasn't, and then I heard they were looking at Michelle, and I was like, good for her. Then they called a month later and said, we still haven't found our Sheila, and we want you to come back in. So I went back in, it was like a bunch of people and like I saw Deidre Goodwin there and Deidre was like, I love her. I love Deidre, she's amazing. And we were both like looking at each other going, what's going on, you know, but Michelle wasn't in that mix. Mm. So I feel like there was an entire audition that happened where there were cameras that they chose not to put me in the film. I never talked to anybody about it. I had a full audition on stage with cameras where I did the full monologue and the song at the Broadhurst Theater and that never made it into the film. And it was a month after all of the main auditions had already happened.
0: Oh, because I knew that story, and it wasn't even from (laughs) you, because I knew it was down between you and Deirdre. Yeah,
1: everybody knew that, and I was mad about it. I was mad about it until I saw the movie, Mm. and then I was like, I'm so happy. Because I have an issue anyway with... With just the audition process for that show, the, that show is, it's a product of its time and I so honor it and I love the character of Sheila and I loved playing Sheila, but I also feel like dancers have, have grown over the time that that show's been in existence and that show was done at a time when it was amazing for a dancer to, to speak
0: mm-hmm, yes. and that was
1: so groundbreaking, but also that doesn't, that's not true anymore, the world has totally changed and dancers may be afraid to speak but they're not afraid to have an opinion and be more in charge of their lives and so i feel like the way that that was approached in terms of like what they wanted to do with that show i, I had questions about it yeah i had definitely had some questions about it and i represent the classic sheila i think i'm pretty much like the classic sort of version of that role yes i look like that like kelly bishop did and i sort of have a i'm not really acting too much when i'm playing her kind of me (laughs) right like kind of like right you know i loved playing it because it was it felt very true to me but there were some things that i felt about that role that they did not want me to do and i Mm. for whatever reason i was not included in that film
0: it's very interesting, especially i think now with uh reality tv Mm -hmm. being so prevalent and so many people talk about the editing license and how Mm -hmm. they change things it was definitely early on when that's it's how much of a reality is it? And I had no other people who ended up getting that yeah. show and not not movie right. at all.
1: And also, like from a business perspective, that's a brilliant idea. Like kudos to them like, yeah. for thinking of that idea. Yeah, absolutely. From a business perspective, I'm like that is a brilliant. Like if you walk in and like pitch that idea, I'd be like, yes, let's yes. do it. But going through the experience oh, of it, yeah, it wasn't conducive to having a good audition. I'll tell you that much.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, no,
1: auditions are private, and also like what I hate. I have to even say this, and I'm going to say it being recorded. I was so upset about that whole s- sequence in the sh- in the movie of the Maggie's trying to hit the note. Yes. The ba- at the ballet at the ballet and the scree the squealing, screaling, scrouting yeah. D. I thought that was so disrespectful. Yeah, I I agree. know for a fact that that audition, one of those final callbacks, happened on like a Thursday morning at like 9 a.m., which is after a two-show day for mm-hmm. most people. And I, I heard about that, and I just thought, well, first of all, you're setting them up for failure. Is that what you wanted? Did you want? An ent- did you actually write in the script for this movie a section of sprouting people trying to hit the note? I just thought that was really awful. Yeah. And Mara, who got the role, was brilliant in the part and clearly should have gotten that role, and she's wonderful. And I'm so glad she got it, but I didn't know why they had to... Embarrass and humiliate other actresses. I thought that that was really bad.
0: Yeah. No, I agree.
1: And I and it really it really hurt it really like it hurt me when I watched the film. I was like, oh, that's awful. You know, that's not no. Mm. That's that that doesn't help us here. Yeah. So you know that those there are things like that that I just took issue with. Yeah. So, but you know, I mean, it's a it is a peek into our our lives a little bit, and yeah. it means that people who don't do this understand a little bit more of the sacrifice and pain. Then that's not a bad thing.
0: Yeah. Either, so <laughs> yeah, when we were together in the roundabout stables, um, which cracks me up. That I, I remember that, and you were so passionate and powerful, and you were in a certain place in your life where you exuded confidence. And at first, I was very intimidated by you, <laughs> but then I completely admired you, and I loved hearing your your stories. And you actually told a, a story one time of stopping the show of Pippin. In your uh, costume. Well, it was stopping
1: the tech. The
0: tech of Pippin. Yes. With the whip. Because you were standing up for something that you thought was unsafe.
1: Well, it was something that I, I was the deputy at the time, and there was a safety issue that had not been addressed, and I was asked by our union that if it happened again, to ask stage management to step in, and for whatever reason, they were not willing at that time. And there was an actor that was literally standing on a set piece that was 40 feet high with no safety cable. Uh-huh. And, the, and the set piece was tracking forward. We hadn't done the proper safety things that Equity had asked for, and they asked me, which was inappropriate of Equity, to step in if I had to, and I asked stage management to do it. Stage management was feeling pressure from somewhere else, and so I walked out on a stage in a dominatrix outfit with a whip and a thong, forgetting what I had on, and just, I said, well, I have to stop this rehearsal right now because that person is in danger and I can't, in good conscience, I'm being put in a bad position here, but I'm willing to take the fall. Right. And I would do it again. The person that that I was really kind of saved from yeah. that situation has thanked me for it. The day after that, I resigned as the deputy. Yeah. Which is another conversation, I, and I had conversations with Equity about putting people like me in that position. I would absolutely do it again, and I would want someone to do it for me. I think we have to look out for each other, and I had no ill will towards anyone, but Sometimes when you're in a, in a budget crunch and you're teching a show, and you can't cut corners like that. No. I've seen things happen, and it's people's lives, and it, at the end of the day, it's not worth it. So, and there's a way to do it that no one gets hurt. Yep. You spend an extra half hour doing something that you're supposed to do, and everything's okay. And that wasn't done in that situation, so. And you know, for a long time, I didn't like speaking about it because I felt like there would be retaliation. And maybe there will be someday, I don't know. There was sort of like, the, one of the producers, I think probably won't work with me again over it. I had to stand up for it. It was just something that I chose to do in that moment or I would do it again. But I mean, you mentioned to me that you found me intimidating or whatever, that I've heard that before, and I think, here's the thought, Here's here's my thought on that. In my career, people have said to me, as a performer, right? I've heard this about myself as a performer, that I'm very focused as a performer on stage, that I have clarity of movement, that I have strong foundation, that I'm a confident performer. I put the audience at ease. You can relax watching me because they feel like I'm in command of yeah. what I'm doing. All of that is obviously by design. It's something that I work for. But then what surprises me, because I've heard this before about people like, I ask a lot of questions in my process, or I wanna have a conversation, I wanna be collaborative. People have said to me, like, that really surprised me about you. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Why does it surprise you? Like that all plays into like, what you see on stage is who I am. That's who I am. For a long time, I tried not to be that person. That's when I get into trouble. When I was like, I really wanna ask this question, or I really feel like this person doesn't understand, like this moment feels wrong me, and I'm being asked to do a solo or a solo mm-hmm. moment, or a principal moment, and I don't understand what I'm being asked to do. When I would ask a question, I would get flack for it. There were times when my process was not welcomed in certain rooms, and I was like, "Oh, I gotta be careful. You know, I don't want to not right. work and all that." And then I just started being really unhappy. So what I found is, I stayed around in the business longer and had more and more credits. I would obviously be drawn towards the people that wanted me in a room, yes, and wanted those things. But also that I feel like I had a little bit of seniority, like, I think after you do ten Broadway shows and you've worked on major, groundbreaking, landmarky shows, I feel like it wasn't like I was walking in with this big ego. I think I was walking in going like, I have something to bring to the table, and that's why I'm here. And the word integrity comes up a lot for me. Having integrity with yourself, having integrity with the process having integrity with my own thoughts and ideas, in this time that we're in right now in the world where there's a lot of question about integrity, and yeah. women wanting integrity, and men stand up for integrity in this whole talk about it. harassment and all of that, it really boils down to having integrity, right? And when the women who are brave enough to speak up about it, or anybody brave enough to speak up about anything that's been done to them, it's because you go, I can't live with myself anymore unless I say this, right? And that's kind of how i've always felt about it i didn't realize and i certainly would never my goal was never to isolate myself or make other people feel uncomfortable around me it was truly the opposite i want to collaborate in this moment i want to have this conversation best idea wins like i want to know what you think like brad if you said something to me if i said like this moment feels weird like we're doing a dance together and i was like I feel weird here, like, something's weird. I feel like there should be another step, or, like, the way we're holding hands is funky or whatever. And you were like, well, actually, what about this? And we came up with a better idea. That's the goal, yeah. right? I would never have ever wanted my quest for integrity and yeah. my feeling of responsibility for those things to have isolated me or pushed people away. That was literally the opposite right. that I wanted. But
0: I don't think it's intimidation, but it's also right. a respect and admiration that you're just, like, wow, this is a force to be reckoned with, and if I'm going to talk to this creature, I better know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm not just going to go up to her and say, how was your commute? You know, <laughs> you know. It, you, well, you it,
1: could because I'd be like, it sucks. It sucks. sucks.
0: In this day and age, someone like you uh, have you had to deal with harassment and being treated as a woman that they are less than? How have you dealt with that and stand up for that? You
1: know, that's a whole other podcast, right? Yes. I have absolutely been harassed. I've been the victim of some really, really terrible things. People in the business, some close to me, some not, know about it. I said someone recently asked me about it. Obviously, with everything that's yeah. going on, someone recently asked me about it, and. I'm not ready to talk about it publicly because I I don't ever want this person to be a part of my story. Like I never yes. I don't want their name to be part of my story because they don't deserve that. Everything that I accomplished before and since that person it happened despite the things that happened to mm-hmm. me. You know what I mean? Yes. One of the things I think that that I am sort of championing right now is is the whole thing of you know, something happening and then the person the victim not wanting to talk about it. But then The perpetrator spinning out into the world that this relationship was consensual in some way, right? That's why they ended up with it. So they they get to continue to be part of your journey. They get to take responsibility for some of your success or something. If that ever came out about my situation, I would speak up because it was really terrible. And thank God I had some people that knew about it that could protect me a little bit and also knew what the real story was and weren't buying into all the lies and things that were happening, but it was really hard for me. There were times that I tried not to ask smart questions in rooms. I literally did that earlier in my life, in my career, where I would have a really good idea or really something really I would, that I thought, ooh, I have, some, I have a great idea. And obviously, you need to temper, you can't always just say all the things out. That's not yeah. being a professional. Yeah. But there were times when it would have been appropriate for me to speak and I was afraid to because I knew that it was a smart idea and that wasn't welcomed. Or I did say something intelligent or something that I wanted to say and try to be a part of the conversation and it was ignored or it was sort of like, well, I don't want to work with her because of whatever reason. I've experienced it. I think that I got to a place where, like we just talked about, I was like integrity. I can't not be who I am and i'm just going to trust and believe that my talent is i'm going to find the places i need to be and it also was what led me to go into the other side of creating things that i was amazing at being other people's muse i loved doing that i was really good at it i still am that it became less important when i started going it's not as creative being a performer after a certain point like after you've sort of created and you're doing eight shows a week you're just trying to find inspiration to sort of do the same thing over and over for me it got a little like, okay, um, you know, I gotta find the layers. I gotta, responsibility, integrity. But choreography and direction, creative direction, you're constantly creating and you're constantly working with new people. Mm-hmm. And it does come from you. Like, yeah. that was actually a big adjustment for me to be like, I had been keeping it in for so long. Like, actually, like, Letting it all out took me a minute yeah. and, to, and not judging it. That was a whole part of my, my journey, but it's been so much more fulfilling and so interesting for me to be seen that way to the point where someone who i would performed with a few times and who I really respect uh, was in a show that I was choreographing, a really big chance I had, and I'd him them to be a part of it. And I was a little nervous because, you know, when you're standing on the other side of the table and you're working with people who you've never really met, yeah. that's one thing, but when you're working with people that you know well it's a little more daunting because you're like, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to tell you what to do. Yeah. And I hope that's cool, right? I just went and did it and we came up with some great stuff and the project went really well. And he said to me, I feel like I'm meeting you for the first time. And that was like the biggest compliment I could have ever gotten. Because it was like, you're so open. I feel like you've been like kind of hiding parts of yourself. And I was oh. like, because I have been, yeah. <laughs> you know? I just feel like more open to a lot more famous now than, I, like, love than I did when I was performing. You
0: said uh, one quote to me that I thought was great. You said, I believe it's all part of the same path, choreography and performing. And I don't see that performing ends and choreography begins in terms of creating. Now working on the other side of the table has been even more rewarding and fulfilling than performing which has been a surprise to me. Yeah. Was this not in your trajectory?
1: No, not at all. Listen, I think we lie to ourselves when something's scary. Mm-hmm. I had fear about what people would think. I had fear about what people would say. I had lots of fears surrounding it, which I'm not the person that likes to live with fear. I like to be like, okay, if that scares you, you ago, to go do that. Yeah. But I was really scared of it. And I had a lot of weird, Emotions about it, and my husband was somebody that has said for a long time, "You're a choreographer. I hate to tell you this, you're a director. You see the bigger picture. The way you approach your own performing is the way you should go see it. If it doesn't work out. It's fine. Let's try it." He saw that I was getting a little frustrated and not feeling creative, and I think that that was something that he sort of helped guide me towards. But my mom and dad told me that at age five, I was like putting on shows and like choreographing dances. Oh wow! Yeah. And I and I found old notebooks at my parents' house recently of all these ideas I had for production numbers, which would have been like a show basically because yeah. I didn't know musicals of like storytelling dances that I had written out at like age 10 and I believe that choreographers are writers it's just a different way of writing a story really it's been a long time coming and I clearly needed 25 years of performing and working with the best of the best right and being inspired by people like Andy Blankenbuehler who I've known so long almost the entire time I've been in New York I've known Andy and we've been friends and we had a similar journey in Fosse that he was featured and I was featured in. kind of bonded on that and you know i watched him from the get-go always like he would be like in between shows can you like grab a video camera and i had this newbie's choreography working on (laughs) it like i come down and we all knew that andy was going to choreograph i just wish he had continuing to dance because he's like one of the best dancers oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. You know, one of the greatest things was when you and I were together, you and me, we did People in the Picture, right? And yes. And he choreographed a ballet at the top of on you. The two, on me.
0: And I got to, I, I sat in the room yeah. when it was being set, and I just was like, yeah. and I'll remember that, and I asked him about that moment. Did you? Yeah, and he...
1: He was like, she's terrible no
0: No, because it, it was interesting because watching him specifically create a piece an individual, yeah. And watching his body create stuff for your body. Yeah. He was talking about how as a choreographer yeah. he gets to become all the characters. Yes. He's like, I got to become this woman who was Shannon. Like, I know I was there. <laughs> like, and I was flying on the wall and I just know. watching that happen. Yeah. And it, it and that was when the choreographer's like, I don't miss performing because I'm twenty-seven people on stage. Yeah. He's like, also oh, there are 27 people being me. So true. Yeah.
1: And, and you really feel, I don't want to say ownership in the way of ego, but ownership of it, like it's all me. I did that. And I love how it's interpreted by the artist that you give it to. I definitely danced it a little differently than him. And I was nervous dancing it because Andy and I come from a technical dance place. He's branched out in... To this whole other cool movement that he's created, that's amazing, and I was like, I'm not a hip hop dancer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can do I can do any type of movement that you want me to do, but I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a hip hop dancer. And he's like, Well, I'm not going to choreograph you a hip hop dance for the Warsaw (laughs) Ghetto. (laughs) But what he did say to me about that too was that I brought out a lot more of the technical side. Like I remember there was a big arabesque. Yeah. an arabesque hold in that, where I got to sort of like, and I had amazing Paul Gemignani following me every night yeah. in the pit with the violin solo. So I would pick up my leg into an arabesque and then some nights I would relevé and I'd fall off of it and he would, and they would play. And some nights I would relevé and the violinist would just hold the note and hold oh. the note and hold the note. And then as soon as my foot touched the floor, Paul Gemignani was right with me. Like, there were some beautiful things about that dance that is so near to my heart, just be also because Andy, you know, yeah. I, just, I just feel like I'm so proud of him, and I just recently ran into him, and you know, I just feel like the journey of especially the Fosse journey, knowing what we all sort of went through and where where he is now. Like I think it's really cool that we're all kind of a part of now this fabric of of Broadway yeah. and just creating lots of things in all different areas. So many of the the cast members of that show, the original cast of Fosse are kind of leading the, the charge now in, in the way of like creating cool things that people are interested in yeah you know? that's very true and so i'm really proud to be a part of that and it's just interesting that we're all kind of being led there
0: yeah you we talked briefly about maintaining your emotional and mental health in this business this business can like hurt your heart hurt your mind hurt your soul i mean how have you maintained just a, a positive attitude i know you always haven't you've gone through dark places yeah. I know you have yoga in your life, and you're also a yoga instructor. What is it that makes you be, still be a survivor?
1: Um, if I was like, if I had like a like a prop, I would like blow up my cigarette smoke right now and be like, "Honey, <laughs> I don't know anything." <laughs> <laughs> Can the adults please smoke? You know, listen, it's a really good question. I feel like I know some things really well and I feel like I have no idea on other things. Like I feel like if I believed everything that everybody told me in this business from auditions to agents to whatever, I would be a heap on the floor. I'd be like just a ball of jelly, right? Because so many, everybody has an opinion about me. Or like there, I had an agent once tell me that I, I had a Picasso face that like I looked like a Picasso face when I asked him to tell me what that meant. He said like, oh, well, you know, you're like, you know, in Europe, they have that saying like pretty ugly. You're like ugly and pretty at the same time. And I was like, oh, OK, because of course I'm insecure about my looks because I'm a woman.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, nobody looks in the mirror is like. I'm amazing, I look amazing today. And it just like that comment, the fact that I'm still talking about that stupid comment today, it meant something to me. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And then it like got in my head. Like there's so many things that have been said to me. And also really nice things like, oh my God, you're the most amazing, like blah, blah, blah. There's so many things said to you as a performer. And I think for me getting back to like having this strong core of myself and knowing myself. When I've been unhappy, it's been when I've been away from the core of myself. Mm -hmm. When I've allowed other people's opinions of me to pull me outside of myself or make me doubt in my ability or when things aren't happening, like even simply that you're not getting jobs or that you didn't get a job that you wanted or something falls apart that you really believed in or whatever and that you take it personally, you can't do that. So I've had to cultivate practices that keep me close to myself right and surround myself with people that are going to do that same thing and also that i can support them that i yeah. that it's something that i can support other people you know that's not always about me meditation and yoga helped me do that i first started taking it because i wanted to go to a class that wasn't a dance class i wanted to go outside of the realm of the little circle of people that i was in and then i found this practice that was really liberating in terms of even just physically working in parallel instead of turnout and also just the mind-body connection of Connecting to my body through movement in a way other than dance. Mm. And not the gym, yeah. not the cardio gym, looking in the mirror. Like, that's important too but something completely other. And that was important for me. That helps me, that helps me get back to center and it helps me stay true. I don't have the answer, I wish I had the answer. Right. I think show business is really, really hard and really, really tough. But I think the rest of the world is starting to feel like what we always feel like, like people's jobs don't last 50 years now. Yeah. One of the benefits of being in show business is that you know you're not gonna have a job for 50 years. So you're always working on yourself. And you're always ready for the next thing, and you're always well. You know, I'm in a show now, but I got to keep moving forward, and like I got to save my pennies, and I got to make other connections, and I and is this still making me happy? I have to, you know, think of that every day. Am I still happy? Am I still happy? So I think those things are are good like qualities for life, happiness yeah. in life. For me, it was also, and this is just me talking now. It was also not doing eight shows a week for a while. That was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. I existed on a one day off, eight show a week for literally twenty five years. I got lucky and I was able to do that pretty much for the full time. Yeah. You know, there were times when I wasn't working, whatever, but pretty much because um, <clears throat> I had long runs in there, I had you know, contact was two years. Crazy for you is two and a half years. I had long running shows and getting away from the performing every night and getting that feedback was was terrifying for me. But then I started going, oh my God, this is so great. I don't have to be exhausted all the time. So I think you just really have to constantly asking yourself, like if I'm down about it, someone else's words in my head, is somebody else's voice in there? Like, that agent that said that to me. Yeah. Being really honest with yourself and getting really real with yourself about feeling down about, like, a bad audition or whatever. Like, what can I do? Could I have been better? Did I mess that monologue up? Should I go, like, just, like, get better at yeah. auditioning or whatever? If you cover all the bases and you say, yes, I'm I'm good, then you just need to cultivate more self-love. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say that. No.
0: Right now, you look amazing.
1: You're so sweet.
0: How is your journey with body image and... Being a woman, and also, I think in this business, the women's bodies are glorified and also objectified. Mm-hmm. And the intention also is to celebrate the woman's body, yeah. but as an audience member, they objectify <laughs> it. And so, it's a weird thing for you knowing that that part of your job is to go on stage in the scantily clad outfit.
1: Totally. Part of what's happening in the world right now is, like, there was that comment that James Cameron, the director, made about the movie Wonder Woman. This isn't a feminist film, like, everybody's holding it up to be a feminist film. She's still wearing, like, a bathing suit. And people got really mad, and I, I got mad when he said it. And I was like, why am I mad? What's making me mad about it? What made me mad is like, it's always been like, well, if you're a feminist, you're going to be no makeup and you're going to wear a burlap sack. And that's what we accepted as feminist. You know, you had to be like this thing. It was either like burlap sack or beauty queen. Right. (laughs) There was nothing in between. You're not allowed to be anything in between. And the truth is that it's, absolutely the in between when I'm choreographing like I love choreographing for women I don't want them ever to feel like objectified but I love being like and then you take your beautiful long legs and you point it down and then you snap it into a bevel and then like you know like I will talk about body parts and things and like things that women like to show off, like it feels really good to look good and to be in shape Absolutely. And I've always struggled with that too because I absolutely have a feminist perspective, meaning I want equal opportunity for everyone and I want everyone to be treated equally. That's what I think that is. And I think we're just starting to understand that this is a conversation that we have not even ever had before. I don't think there's any kind of a map at all I think that all opinions right now are valid and should be shared because I don't like when people say things to me like, Wow, you're pretty and smart. Thanks, that's thank you. Yeah. Okay, you know? <laughs> I'm like yeah. okay. You know,
0: girls can be both. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right? It just gives me pause. Like yeah. and I know it's meant as a compliment, so I'm not like mad at that person. But it definitely gives me pause in this current climate that sometimes I do feel like being too objectified is obviously terrible, but I'm not gonna sit here and say that I don't totally respect what the Rockettes do. Right. Because the Rockettes are kicking ass and taking names. Yeah. I was a Rockette for one season. It's the hardest job I ever had. And they're connected, their energy is connected, they're connecting to each other, they all look beautiful, they're athletic, they're stunning, they all do have long legs. Yeah. They're all wearing push-up bras, but it doesn't take away from anything that they're doing. And isn't it beautiful to watch this strong troupe of dancing women do this thing that they do so beautifully? Like, yes, it is a little objectifying, but I didn't feel objectified when I was a rocket. And I know those ladies don't either. Yeah. Because what they're doing is so strong. That question that you asked is like, let's come back in five years. I bet you anything will have much more of a solid perspective on it. Yeah. Because I feel like it's all being, everything's being literally torn apart and questioned right now. And I think it's a good thing but I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. No,
0: if the performers, if they feel like they're safe, yes. then that's what uh, we need 100%. to think about.
1: It's a personal thing, it's yeah. a personal choice. Like what's right for me is not right for you. What's right for me is not right for someone else. There are strippers that feel empowered. Nah, no, That's not for me. Every, anybody telling anybody else how to live their life in terms of like what makes you happy? Yeah that's that's over like you know we all need to be respectful obviously like if I don't want to be a stripper I'm not going to be a stripper right it's a good question yeah
0: so tell me about uh, project style smash oh
1: style smash well that's something that I'm working on and it's kind of been like the header of like a choreography project that I'm working on through like Jacob's pillow
0: oh wow is a place that
1: Chet Rocker kind of opened the door for me and it's been like a really amazing inspiring place to work and I've choreographed up there, and they're really good at developing things up there. And I think that a lot of the choreography that I've done when I've been just given no parameters, when I like get hired to just like do a great piece of choreography, I tend to go towards pop music that is sort of a, has a story, but I tend to do like a musical theater thing. So it's like musical theater steps to like pop music or vice versa. Just kind of like changing it up. Like I didn't come from this history in, in my childhood of musicals. Like a lot of people yeah. do, they grew up like, oh, I love watching this musical. I saw Joan Robbins or whatever. I didn't do any of that. My inspiration is music videos on MTV because ah. there was dance in those. Yeah. Right? And the music, like I love pop music. I still do. I'm not afraid to admit it. I love a good pop song. A well-produced pop song to me is freaking awesome. And I love musical theatre, obviously. I've been my whole life in musical theatre. But I'm so drawn as a choreographer to the different types of music. And a well-written pop song has a story. There's something that you can pull out of it. Or there's a melody that repeats that you can pull out of it. That you as a choreographer can add a story on. And usually pop songs are such stylized pieces of music that instantly you can be transported right to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing different pieces. A couple of them have debuted in in the city and they've, they've been really well received of like sort of a night that kind of is literally that, like taking two things and like smashing them together. Kind of like a donkey head and like a a man's body, you know what I mean? Like kind of putting them together. And it's sort of still kind of in my head. I'm still kind of figuring it out, but I, I definitely like have started on this creative journey which is on pause at the moment because of this Princess Cruise Line thing with Steven Schwartz, which is so exciting for me. And
0: that's debuting in January. It's debuting
1: in January. And in... you
0: said it's full circle because you're working with Stephen Schwartz again. Yeah. And it's all new?
1: Yeah. It's a brand new musical. We're using some of Steven Schwartz's music that he's previously written. John Tartaglia, amazing John Tartaglia, yeah. is the director and the writer. He and I have been forming a really nice creative partnership. We, we've done like, I think six shows together now as oh, director wow. choreographer. We're dear friends. I find him so inspiring. Also his work with puppets. He's just an amazing talent. And he was approached by Stephen, who he's friendly with. And Stephen is like the executive producer. and He's an amazing producer. Stephen is like, because he's a creative guy, he can be in a room and understand the process and understand when not to say something, understand you know, the process of even creating choreography. For this piece, it's based on a a Japanese and sort of Eastern Asian fable that's been around thousands of years. So we're taking that story, we're kind of applying the principles of a musical to it. That's
0: exciting. Yeah.
1: So the movement kind of comes from everywhere. Yeah. For me, it was sort of the task was to kind of find Movement that you could sit down in any country in the world and feel connected to it in some way, which is a huge thing to ask for a choreographer. Kudos to Princess for wanting to do this. This is literally a new musical, like a Broadway show on a ship. That's exactly what it is. It's got a book. It's got scenes, yeah. it's got songs, it's got dances, it's amazing. Anna Luizos is our set designer, put Ramos is our costume designer. Wow. So we have like yeah we have the best of the best. Yeah. And you know, I had to do a work couple workshops, one in particular in New York, where I, I gathered a bunch of favorite dancers and worked on some ideas I had for big production numbers. Like really kind of going like, here's what I think. I sort of went like to Tai Chi classes and to Brazilian fighting classes and I have my yoga background and I have Russian folk dance, like anything I could get to sort of just like get in my head and then I got in the room and I sort of created these things and Stephen wanted to see what we were doing because he wanted to know obviously if we were on the right track. Yeah. And John sort of was like, I really love what you've done, but let's make sure. I had that scary moment of like working for a week and then having Stephen Schwartz come in the studio. Yeah. And I hadn't seen him since I played like Pastrata for him, you know, yeah. on the national tour of Pippin. And he was so exuberantly happy with it, which literally made me cry. Mm. And he was so supportive and he was like, I totally understand how hard this was because he said, I see what you're trying to do, like you're trying to create your own world and you're trying to be so aware and you're trying to be so respectful and he's like you totally nailed it. So those are the moments that you want in your life. Like I can pick those moments out. He's been so supportive and so humble. Stephen Schwartz could sit up in his penthouse for the rest of his life and not have to work. He yeah. did not want to. Yeah. He wants to work. He got in the studio one day with us in LA when we were actually putting the whole show together and he was like my favorite part. It's like this little kid and he's like, this is my favorite part. Oh my God, watching you it for the first time watching you guys create. It's my favorite part. It's my favorite part. Because he said, once this is done, we give it to them and then it's theirs. He's like, but this, this is my favorite part.
0: That's so exciting. I want to be like that. I want to be like
1: Steven Schwartz for the rest of my life. I want to never forget how lucky we are. I want to never forget the responsibility that we have for getting to that level and being inspiring and having integrity and having to set the standard and the bar really high in the room. Yeah. Working with other people and having respect, I hold myself to those things and I'm human, so... Oh know. yeah, and you
0: definitely, but you definitely will.
1: That's, that's my goal.
0: People use you as an example. It's true. <laughs> I love your career, especially looking at it. You are able to seamlessly go back from being a principal to being in the ensemble and then starring in the show and then going back into a show that flops and that there's a tenacity that nevertheless she <laughs> persisted. I guess there's that, that goes to you I and mean, you can be Starring in Tweet Charity and then flopping in The Look of Love. Right.
1: No, yeah. it wasn't fun. It, but let me say this: I don't think of those things as different. They're not different. The work I do in the ensemble, the work I did in the principal, it's exactly the same work. It sounds stupid, but it's.
0: It's not stupid. It's huh? not
1: like I don't be like oh I'm in the I'm in the ensemble. I I don't have to you know no I'm not necessarily singing a huge solo dance number, but. but I still take on the responsibility in the same way. For what I did, for what I do, there wasn't always a principal role for what I did. Yeah. In Look of Love, I got to do an eight minute dance with Desmond Richardson, mm. where the first two minutes of it were just being on stage by myself on Broadway. Yeah. And like, people were like, oh, Look of Love, it was so terrible. And I was like, I know that was your experience as an audience member. I'm really sorry that it wasn't a good show for you. But there were things about that show that were like the best moments of my career. And was that a fun experience? Hell no! There were some things that happened on that show that But it was clear from the beginning there was something off about it It wasn't quite clicking and there was so much talent on the stage and it was painful to see it go down like that. But there were moments that I was like, literally when, when I knew the show was gonna close, we still had another like month to run because we were produced by the roundabout, so we oh. had a, a guaranteed run. And I literally would be like, well, I get to do a two-minute dance right now by myself on Broadway, choreographed by Anne Marking. Yeah, I get to do this. I get to, like nobody else, there's no set, nothing. Me on a Broadway stage, Brooks Atkinson Theater, dancing. For two minutes that's amazing
0: that's amazing
1: like that is and really it is like because you can do a solo with the whole cast behind you yeah and you can do other things but to be by yourself on broadway and hold the stage like that you better not think of it as a flop <laughs> yeah no you better not <laughs> you better, yeah. you better yeah. think of it as like the tony awards yeah like yeah so yeah so i just feel like it's all in the way you approach things it's all in your perspective flops make you appreciate the hits so much more because you're like, oh man, I got job security. Yes. Paycheck, and also just that people like the show. Yep. That it's a lot easier to come to work every night. One of the things as a choreographer I love is you forget, as a performer, the hubbub Out in front of the curtain Before the curtain goes out Oh yeah Because like at half hour You're like Oh my god I'm so tired
0: <laughs>
1: Forget all of that Yeah
0: Forget it's, the people Like picked out an outfit And get dressed they, up And they they're excited They got on a
1: plane Just to come and see your show Yeah And they're hubbub hubbub And they're all like In their seats And they're like Getting their little And they open their playbill And they're looking And they're all excited And turning off their phones And the lights go down And they get all excited Like oh right Broadway Yeah That's wow I forgot about that Those are the things That I think You said like The, the mental health Thing. Like you do get to be somewhere that you've always wanted, and it doesn't feel as fulfilling because that often happens, right? If yeah. you get to that point, you like put yourself on the, like I want to get there, and then you attain that goal, and it's like, hmm, it's not what I it's not everything I thought I was gonna. This isn't exactly glamour of show business, isn't you know? Yeah. It's not always the it's not always great. Just go back to that and remember, like I will say, Harry Groner, star of Crazy for You, when I first got into the company, he was the original Monk Strap in Cats, and he's a consummate pro every night before the show, we'd spend a half an hour tapping on stage. So whenever I do any show, I always go on stage. And I always warm up on stage. And he taught me. I would, like, I'd like I just follow him around like a puppy. And I said, why do you do this every night? And I'd be tapping with him. And he would go, because you need to be in the space. You need to be in the space you're going to perform in. You have to feel the space. He was amazing. He literally said to me one night, he was leaving the show after like a year, and Jimmy Brennan was coming in, who was amazing. Yeah. But, it, you know, Harry was the original guy, and it was sort of like a big change. And I went up and I was like, Harry, we're really going to miss you. And he was like, I said, you know what? I said, always think of this show. Never forget. And he like stood with me on the stage of the Schubert Theater and like, stood with me and he looked out at the house. And he was like, do not forget that people buy a ticket to see this show. And they spend their money and they get on a plane and they go to the hotel and they come here to see. That's why they're coming here. They're literally coming here to see this show that we're gonna do tonight. And he said, that's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It doesn't happen like that anywhere else in the world. Like maybe now Vegas, some of the Cirque shows, but I don't know anywhere else in the world that this concentration of musical theater talent and people come just to see it. And he was like, never, ever, ever, ever forget it. Don't you ever forget it. And he said, and don't ever let it get stale. And he was so right. Like I was like, of course 19, I was like every day was like Christmas. <laughs> oh yeah. but. But no. he knew that
0: you were gonna be around for a while and knew that you needed to hear that.
1: I guess so. He was also very specific, like I did a, I did this little dance with him. I actually my track interacted with his a lot and he was so specific. We were perfectly matched because I'm like a very much a perfectionist. I'm more open to change than he was, but I literally like we danced together and I would have to put my hands up exactly the same every night and have like my thumb open a little bit more and my this hand turned and like we had to practice it. I had every single night exactly the same and I took that on every night, so that I made sure that like the star of the show was like I I gave him exactly what he needed you know like that was really really important to me how lucky was I to get in that show yes and have that experience with those people those titans of theater Rob Ashford was in the chorus with me Casey Nicola was in the chorus yeah we were we danced together in the chorus I'm crazy for you That's how I know those guys. Yeah, It's really, really cool.
0: So another thing that you're successful with is having a showbiz marriage. Do you have a a, a turn-off where you're like, no shop talk, (laughs) we're not talking about show business for five hours.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's limits to things, right? But no, I think one of the reasons that Mark and I work so well together is that we do talk about it. We both are really passionate about it. It's so important to us and it's been such a huge part of our lives. We never did a show together. We never met on a show. We met at the bank. We met at the Actors Federal Credit Union. Oh, wow. Used to put your check in on a Friday morning because you get paid on Thursday, and everybody yeah. would go to the bank put yeah. their checks in, right? And we knew of each other. We both been around a long time, and we met each other. Both been like single for six months at the time when we met, ish. We started talking in line, and we just kept talking. But Mark and I never met. We weren't a showman. So he didn't know me in a theater way. Like he didn't know me backstage and all that. Like we just met as as two people, and that was really good. We also didn't meet when we were like twenty one. Right? Yeah, he's a little older than me, but we met when our like I had established myself in the city, and he was all obviously well, very well known. He was still doing Millie when I met him. He had been in Millie for about a year, I think. By that mm. point, Mark and I actually have started working together as director choreographer. Oh, really? I was a little like, how's this gonna go? <laughs> <laughs> and I think the key to that was it wasn't like, honey, can I talk to you about like we treated each other like director like and choreographer. Obviously we know each other yeah. really well. We kind of took the whole romantic thing out of it and we just met each other as the creative team and then we would go home and be like husband and wife again. Not like we turned the switch off or right. like, you know, a couple of times I, I would slip in and be like, Honey, I mean Mark, could you please it's such a great thing for us to work together. The the things that we've done together as a creative couple have been wonderful. Like mm. really really pleased with the work that we did and other people really liked the work that we did. No, we do talk to each other about things and then there are times when we specifically don't. There have been situations where it would have been easy for us to sort of like talk about like with this person said this thing and this person would said this thing that would maybe sort of change the situation. Mm. And we specifically were like, I was like, I don't want to talk to you about this. I I don't think you should know this information or I don't think it's proper that we talk about it. And he was like, absolutely. There are times when we don't talk about things because it's just not right. Yeah. It wouldn't work. But in terms of like a confidant, in terms of someone who I bounce ideas off of, in in terms of, you know, I'm working on this piece of choreography and I got it to a point where I'm ready to show it to somebody, he's going to be the first person I show it to because I trust and he sort of knows. And he's really smart. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to not take advantage of his amazing talent that way and we're really good friends like you know the core of our relationship is that we're best friends that we support each other that way and that we root for each other that yeah. way. That's worked for us and it's it's ongoing. You know, we, every situation is different. It's not like all showbiz all the time and definitely, we definitely get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to literally set a timer and we can talk about this <laughs> <We're like> for <laughs> minutes and then we're going to turn on the TV or something we're going to watch something else. We're right. going to yell at Donald Trump on MSNBC.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so of your amazing career, is there a moment that stands out as just, or two, or that stands out as just a moment that you're like, this is something I'm the most proud of or just even special
1: that's hard I mean people say to me what's your favorite show and I literally say like it's like what's your favorite child like I <laughs> you know <laughs> it literally is that personal and yeah. that intense that like they're all good I mean Fosse was a very unique thing Fosse stands out also because so many it affected so many people yeah. it had such a wide ranging effect and like I'll judge dance competitions and hear my song, hear my voice singing, I gotcha. I'll go and teach and it's still being used all the time, like people still use I gotcha as a song. I recognize how special that is, that it's become like kind of bigger than anybody thought that it would be. There's the little moments too, the first time I ever went on for the wife. Mm. And when I went backstage and everyone everyone was like, oh, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> like, you know, like that. I was like, it was kind of, like it kind of went really well. Like, I had no idea I had that in me. Or I did know it, but I was afraid yeah. to go to that deep place. I've never been allowed to go to that place before. So there are moments like that when you have a breakthrough. But no, I mean, it's funny because I was trying to think of those things, thinking about what we were going to talk about today. And I don't know. I don't think I look at it like that. I don't think, to me, it feels like, trophies like are the trophy you know yeah i don't see it like that i I think it ties into that whole thing of performing in choreography like to me someone said to me like oh you're transitioning (laughs) which can mean different things yes it doesn't mean the one thing (laughs) (laughs) but you know you're in a transition you're in a transition and i was like Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I understand what that is, but and I have no problem with someone giving me that label at all, but that's not what it feels like to me. To me, it feels like this constant arc upwards or towards growth, towards me blossoming into a choreographer yeah. for me. There are some people that are want to choreograph when they're 20 and they're amazing. But for my own journey, I needed all of the things that I experienced as a performer and all of the w- ways and all the people that I met and everything along the way to get me to that point where I was blossoming and felt it strongly enough to move to that next place. In many ways, it kind of feels like that's what I've been always working towards. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm going to close this book now and put it down and now open a new book, it's called Choreography. <laughs> it doesn't feel disconnected. It feels like the same thing. Yeah. So I feel like all of the things that I've done, like getting crazy for you was insane. Yeah. Fosse was insane. You know, Sweet Charity was an amazing thing because I was known for a role in that show that I didn't dance a step. Yeah. It was a pure acting comedy role in a scene that was written by Neil Simon. Yeah. With Christina Applegate. Got to do that. And people were like, you're really good. And I was like, thanks. Like, that's awesome. You know, people were like, oh, you're doing Sweet Charity. Oh, you're doing The Fruit Girl. And I was like, no, I'm playing Ursula. And they were like, what? I loved that. Yeah. I loved it. And the gal who's playing the food girl is amazing. Her name's Corinne McFadden and she's amazing and you've got to come see her. And I am I would stand in the wings and watch her every night. But I had no desire to do that. I was thrilled doing this other thing. Yeah. Using it, Flexing a different muscle. So, you know, and I will say that there are things that stand out that were not so great. It's not all freaking wine and roses. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, there were some times when like someone I really trusted or someone I really admired like really let me down. Creatives that I'd known for a long time or that I really worked hard for, kind of didn't support me. I saw something in them that I, was shocking, surprising and, and disappointing. They're human beings are allowed to be those people. Yeah. But that's that's a big thing too, you know, or someone that you really thought would like pull for you that didn't. Yes. Okay. Like, it's not their fault. I'm not blaming anybody for anything. But it didn't feel very good. And those stand out to me too. Like, you know, there are some people in this business that I still am trying to work through feelings about. Yeah. And my goal is always to get to a place where I don't blame anybody for anything and I don't want to hold on to any energy cause it take, or anything like that because it takes so much energy. Like, it just... Why hold on to things like that? But it's a process, you know, you can't just let go of stuff. No. You know, I think that that's, that's it too. And I think this new sort of place to be, that the world is in, and that I'm doing more and more other side of the table creative work, it feels like exactly where I should be right now. But also it comes with its great challenge that people are like, you know, speaking out and doing, and all these things are happening, which is so great and important. But for me, and I have to say it, the, the truth is that there isn't like a safety net in place yet. There's not. It's not always safe to speak out about things and to speak up. I've had many a production meeting where I'm one of the only women in the room. And I'm still navigating that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that anything bad ever happened. Sometimes there are things said that I'm like, oh, that was, that's interesting. but. Majority of the time, is I'm working with people that I love and yeah. are great, and it's really wonderful. We're still all figuring this thing out, so I think the things that stand out to me are like the highs and the lows. Yeah, you know, I think one of the other things like, that I always go to is when we did the Fosse performance on the Tony Awards, we did Sing Sing Sing, yeah. which is on YouTube. Yeah, you can watch it, and I always feel like yeah, I, I think I talked to Andy Blake and about this, but that we had done like eight shows that week and we'd had all the Tony rehearsals and then we did a matinee that morning. So we were like the most exhausted people you've ever seen in your life. Oh. We all weighed like 90 pounds Yeah, and we were so excited about it but I was literally like, I don't know how, you know when you get so tired that you can't even eat anymore? Like, yeah. like your body just stopped, <laughs> like you just like need an dri- IV drip, like that's where I, I was like, how are we gonna do this? Like Sing 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 is one of the hardest numbers in the Bob Fossey repertoire. Yeah. And it was the Tony Awards, yeah. right? So I remember like being on the bus over to the talkies and like we were all just like crazy and tired and crazy and I remember like literally like doing the first like in the beginning everybody kind of is in the dark and the lights come up and then there's these little um, explosions right like lights come up and you like throw your arms up and then you relax back down and I remember doing that and the first like couple step kick step hook steps and then, literally being like, spent. <laughs> <laughs> and there was another like three minutes of the number to go. Like, you watch it, I'll only speak for myself, but I think everybody, I know Andy and I have talked about it, that we were all over dancing so much. I've never seen any cast get through anything on, on adrenaline like that. But I remember like looking out and just seeing like, all of, like the people that I admired. Yeah. Like, you do the Tony's and you see all the people that oh, yeah. admired. And just feeling so proud of that show that you know, we had a our producer was arrested and <laughs> The company went bankrupt, and we we ended up winning Best Musical. That yeah, you no, know, it was such a prideful moment, and like just getting through that, like the the sheer like it literally was that thing that performers do, where we had this dysfunctional family that loved each other, and we literally sucked each other's energy. Like we became this unit, and we got through that number. I've never experienced it that hard with anybody else. Like it was so visceral. And we were all just so, because we've been through so much, we made it to the yeah. freaking Tony Awards, and we were doing this number, and like, I go back and watch that, and I see, like, Sergio, and Andy, and, like, everybody that I love in yeah. that number, and we're all just, like, dancing our little oh, heads off. I like, love that. I yeah. remember
0: I, that night, I was the, we performed that night as well, and yeah, we got that's to right. watch you from, on the monitors, and right. it was so exciting, and yeah. I, so yeah, it was great. It great. was
1: great. It was really like that cast is like yeah. Marianne and everybody. I mean, oh, Lizzie and Scott Wise and, unbelievable. and Desmond. Like unbelievable. Unbelievable. I really, I watch it now and I have like students or people that will come up to me and be like, I just saw you, the video of the Tony Awards in 1999. And I was like, okay, first of all, 1999. Oh my God. <laughs> but, but it feels like yesterday yeah. in many ways. I remember that. I have like a sense memory about it. Like you yeah. play that music and it's like, I like just sense yeah. memory.
0: Well, speaking of music, we're going to end this podcast. Of all the songs in your life, or well, what's what's representing you right now in your life, that oh, you want to end hard, it, ugh,
1: so hard to pick one. I mean, music is so important to me, and I feel like that's why I became a dancer in the first place because I just liked music so much that I was like, "What song can I pick? What song? What song? What song?" It's going to be weird. so You got to go with me on this. I'm going. My true inspiration, that really like was me like as a child in my bedroom with the door closed. What inspired me, right? Like. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson is like my ultimate idol of all things in terms of performing. Like I don't want to get into the personal side of things. I feel like he's sort of a sad human tragedy in many ways. But he, like Sammy Davis Jr. to me, is like one of the most talented souls that's ever passed through this realm. Because knowing what we know now about his artistry, that he was like singing all the instruments on the songs he wrote. Like he would orchestrate everything in his head and everything was so personal and just the kind of attack that he had as a performer, vocal attack, natural dance ability. It literally reached through the TV screen and like grabbed me by the throat, and like I was like, oh my god. And then cut to me doing Fosse for two years on Broadway, and I'm like keeping my integrity and trying to like go out there and do a, do I Gotcha every night and try and like muster up this energy. And it's like I need to have a song. I need to have a song that gets me in the mood for this number. Right? It has to be something that's just like gets me going every time and the song that i used every night was smooth criminal
0: i love that and
1: i love that video it was like made such an impact on me and if you really listen to it and i did just recently listen to it again that the kind of vocal attack the kind of layered sort of like performance that he has going on in that because the, the lyrics are inane and that it makes no sense. <laughs> like literally like it makes no sense. But the kind of music that like the beat, just the way that song is put together and his vocal energy really got me going for I Got you Every Night. Like I would use that song as an inspiration song and I still do. I would love to choreograph to it. Like I just I just think that there's something about that song that just gets me going and I always, I just have such high respect for it. So I was like, I think you should play Smooth Criminal by Michael Jack. done and done well thank you very much thank you